So I, I know the first thing on your minds when you woke up this morning was, what about tongues? What about speaking in tongues? Where does that fit into the... Is that what you were thinking about this morning? Well, too bad. That's what we're going to talk about. So open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I think we're going to see, although Paul is dealing with the, the subject of tongues, he's actually dealing with something far deeper when it has to do with uh, the church and our gathering together and, and what the church should be about when like-minded believers gather together. And again, if you're new this morning, maybe you're not even a believer, you're just kind of checking things out, you came with a friend, uh, Paul is writing a letter to the early church in a city uh, called Corinth. And it's a port city, it's a busy city, it's a wealthy city, and so there's a lot for us to glean from it because it's a, a, a city of opulence and um, people that simply have more than, than they need. And Paul is putting God's house back in order, if you will. The church gatherings had become chaotic. They had become self-centered. They were using communion as an opportunity to get drunk and have a party. Uh, and that just gives you a small picture of how distorted their gatherings had become. So we as a church body, we can look at this letter and say, what should we be about? When we get together, what should our gatherings look like? We see the purpose and the function of what it means to be together. And that's a, a term that's used throughout the New Testament over a hundred times. When we are with one another. Now one thing Paul has been dealing with in the section that we've been in recently is what it looks like to operate in spiritual gifts. Paul has told us that the Spirit of God has gifted every believer with spiritual gifts, really manifestations of the Spirit. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. It wasn't an exhaustive list, but Paul was getting us down that road, thinking about the reality that we all play a part in this body. We all have different gifts, we all have unique gifts, but we, all, we are all part of one body, and that's the body of Jesus Christ. Many members, but one body and we should be unified in our desire to build one another up and glorify God as we operate in those spiritual gifts. Now chapter 12 ended with Paul instructing the church to earnestly desire the best gifts but then he says I show you now a more excellent way and what was that more excellent way? It was love. Paul explained that without love being the fuel and the motive behind using our gifts, they're worthless. He says the best road forward, if we want to operate in the gifts, if we want to remain effective, if we want to make Jesus known, Paul says this is the best road. This is the most excellent way. It's love. And I believe that love in and of itself is a spiritual gift. 
that we're all given, but we are fully dependent on the Spirit of God to love in the way that Jesus loves. Again, I'm not going to get too far down this road, but we know the world has redefined what love is. It's a feeling, it's an emotion, you fall into it, you fall out of it, which is so contrary to true love. True love is faithful and lasting and sacrificial, and when feelings change, the the commitment doesn't change because our feelings are all over the place. But the true love of God represents his character, meaning it has no beginning and no end, and we can't measure the heights and the depths of it, and nothing can separate us from his love. That kind of love is a gift that only comes from the Spirit of God, and it's been granted to all of us. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. He says, love never what? Fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. There's certain gifts that we've been given that prepare us for eternity. They draw people in. They speak the truths of God in a way that are understandable. But one day we will be in the presence of God. Will we need to prophesy about what God is like when we are standing face to face with him? No, that'll be gone. But what won't be gone? Love. It's the greatest of gifts. The love of Christ. It must be given by the Spirit of God. It is supernatural. It's self-sacrificial. It's others-oriented. And it's a love that's available to all of us, but we should earnestly seek it. Lord, help me to love others well. Not with strings attached. Not because they themselves are lovable, but because you are love. That must be the why behind why we gather together. That must be the why behind why we use our spiritual gifts. Because we care about one another. We want to see one another built up. Without the love, without love as the motive or the source or the purpose, whatever comes after that is meaningless. Doesn't matter how talented you are. Doesn't matter if you speak with the tongues of angels. It doesn't matter if you prophesy or you understand all mysteries or you have the kind of faith that moves mountains. Paul says, without love, it is nothing. We could be champions for social justice we could sell everything we have and give it to the poor we could give our entire body to be burned at the stake in the name of jesus but if we don't have the love of jesus christ all of that is worthless why well paul already told us because love builds up and knowledge puffs up So, when I say we're going to talk about tongues this morning, I'm more confident that chapter 14 is about love than it is about tongues. Because how does Paul start uh, this chapter, 14? What's the first verse? Pursue love. And we don't hear the word love again in that chapter, but we hear another word edify. 
in the first five verses, we will see the word edify four times. And we've learned that love builds up. That's what the word edify means. So this is a chapter, as much as it is about tongues, it's about how do we love each other well? And how do we love those who come into our gatherings who don't know Christ? How do we love them well and make sure that the message of the gospel is clearly being conveyed? That's what Paul is dealing with. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, verse 1. Pursue. That word in the Greek, it means hunt after. It means chase down. It's active and ongoing. It's relentless. It's going after something and not giving up even when it gets difficult. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. They have to go hand in hand. They cannot be separated in our gatherings. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Again, if you're new here this morning and you don't know what a tongue is, it is a spiritual language that is indiscernible to the human mind and ear unless God gives an interpretation. You may think that's weird, that's fine. Become born again and then we can talk more about it. But that's a tongue. It's a spiritual language between an individual and God. Indistinguishable unless God gives an interpretation of that tongue. And prophecy, literally translated, is inspired speech. It is the word of God. It is the truth of God. And Paul says here, desire the gift of prophecy, sharing God's truth in God's place at God's time. For he who speaks in a tongue, Paul says, does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies, he speaks what? Edification and exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. That is the heart of this passage. Why do we gather together? Are we here to build ourselves up or to build up one another? Are we here for a spiritual experience or are we here to edify one another? That's the title of this morning's message experience or edification how do we answer that question he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the church i wish you all spoke with tongues paul says there's the balance paul's not canceling out the gift of tongues saying it has no purpose in the church today he says i wish you all spoke with tongues just like he said, I wish you were all, all single. But he knows that that's not a reality, that many people desire to be married, and that's not a bad thing. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more, that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. That doesn't mean more important. That means more effective in, in the context of what Paul's dealing with, in the gathering of 
men and women that love Jesus. One who speaks the word of God clearly and understandably in his time is more effective in church gatherings than one who speaks with tongues. Unless Paul says what? There's an interpretation of that tongue that the church may receive edification. So again, love's not mentioned again in this chapter, but that word edify is mentioned four times in just five verses. So I I truly believe Paul is dealing with the issue of why we gather together. Do we care about one another? Are we here for one another, or are we here for our own spiritual, individual experience? Guys, that's what the American church has become. A bunch of individuals gathering together, trying to get an experience with God. And the heart of this passage should flip that on its head. Think about this. All these gatherings today centering around individual spiritual experience, seeking a spiritual experience that moves us. So if you have 100 or 200 or 2,000 people coming together, seeking an individual spiritual experience, what does that church walk away with? Right? You get, you get 200 of us or 2,000 of us, in our minds as we head to church, we want to have an emotional, moving experience. We come in, we seek that out, and then we leave. What do we leave with? Versus you have 200 or 2,000 people coming together to build one another up with that mindset. God, who? Who can I pour into this morning? Who can I serve this morning? Who needs to hear your truth? Who needs to hear about your love? Who needs to be encouraged this morning? God, I'm yours. I want to be your hands and your feet. Use me to build up my brothers and sisters. What does that fellowship walk away with? When everyone shows up with that mindset. Guys, let me make this very clear. These are not my words. These are Paul's. Church is not about our own personal spiritual experience. Now, do we have spiritual experiences? Yes. But that's not our main goal when we gather together. That is a very westernized, individualistic way of looking at church. Making it about us. And you know why we do that? This is my personal opinion. I think we do that because we're not meeting with God during the week. We're not spending time with Him during the week. So we're like, okay, we got to get that on Sunday. Instead of being built up during the week, having that individual experience with God, maybe if you speak in tongues using that gift with Him, having Him pour into you, And then when you come to a gathering on a Sunday morning, you're just overflowing with what God is already doing in your life. And you're not seeking out that spiritual experience in a gathering that is tailored to build up one another. Does that make sense? Paul writes, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Again, speak clearly 
and intelligibly sharing God's word and God's time. We hear prophecy, and I know we've dealt with this already, but often when we hear prophecy, we think of foretelling. And it's really interesting to me how a lot of times when churches operate in this gift of prophecy, it's always just these good news, um, fortune cookie uh, words of encouragement. And, and encouragement's never a bad thing. But I, I grew up in a charismatic church um, after I got out of high school. And they loved Jesus. But every woman who was young, they would get a word that you're going to marry a pastor. And I'm like, that's not good news. That's bad. That's... Pray for them then. Or you're going to marry a worship leader. Every young man, you will be a pastor. You will be a prophet. You will be a worship leader. You are going to get that job. You are going to have victory over this hell. It's always positive. But look at the office of prophet in the Old Testament. Was it positive thinking over and over and over again? No, it was repent. Turn back to the Lord. Remember his law. Don't forsake the one true God. And then if you look at prophecy in the New Testament, it's what? Repent. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Walk with him. Experience new life in him. That's prophecy. It's sharing God's word. In his time. I'm not saying that God doesn't lay something on our heart for others to encourage them and bless them. But when we've spun it in a way where it's all about the experience on Sunday mornings. And we're just looking for that. And, and guys, I have a history of drug addiction. And one thing the Lord made very clear to me when I became born again. He said, I will not be your drug. You will not come to me for a spiritual high. I am so far high above your emotions and your feelings. I am God whether you believe it or not. But we tailor our gatherings to evoke an emotional experience so that we can say we met with God. And God is here whether you want him to be or not. His spirit lives in us. We don't have to get the right lighting or the right music or the right whatever to conjure up the spirit to move. He is here and he's living in us. So what does Paul tell us? He says prophecy isn't foretelling, it's forthtelling, it's sharing God's word. And it's not always chapter and verse. I started going through my mind and thinking about when people shared what I would call prophetic words with me. And often it wasn't, you know, hey, Dan, if you look at, you know, Song of Solomon chapter 6 or whatever. It's, no. One example that came to mind, I know I've shared this before, but it was very, it was very prophetic. It was God's word in God's time. I was in high school, and, and I was making extremely poor decisions, and Pastor John called me into my, his office, and I thought, uh-oh, here we go, and his heart was broken, and that was obvious, and he said, you're hurting your parents. Do you see that? You're, you're hurting your parents. Now, Scripture says to obey your mother and father so that your days on earth may be blessed. And he didn't quote that Scripture, but he expressed the heart of God through his own physical experience 
And he was the mouth of God in that moment. That, to me, that's what prophecy is. It's when we're so in tune with what God is doing, when we share with people, when we talk with people, we are simply reflecting God's heart into a situation. That, that, I still remember that day. It's the gospel message spoken to someone who is seeking answers. It's inspired speech that builds faith. It's that seed that's planted in the right moment that has potential to bear great fruit. That's prophecy. And prophecy should be the language of the church, not tongues. Our church gatherings, our language should be that of prophecy. God's word should be central to our gatherings. The church in Corinth, they seem to have elevated a different kind of inspired speech. And they made this the central uh, crux of their gatherings. And it was that of tongues. Unintelligible spiritual speech. In their mind, it was a different kind of evidence that God was working in them and through them. And, and it was a mandatory evidence, if you will. And many, many veins of Christianity believe that today. If you are baptized with the Spirit, you must speak in tongues. Which is so interesting to me. Because Paul asked in a rhetorical way, do all speak in tongues? No, but the devil lo loves to live at the extremes, and that's what we do, right? We either say no tongues, we're cessationists, tongues are no longer used, they have no place in the church body, they were for a time and a place, and uh, we're just not going to have anything to do with them, or we live at the other extreme where it's essential in church gathering. We're not really praying unless we're praying in tongues. It's evidence that the Spirit is moving in the life of the believer, and therefore it's vital in our church gatherings. But guys, both extremes are immature at best, and they're manipulative at worst. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, we'll, we'll get there, but he says, brothers, don't be children in understanding. However, in malice, be infants, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. And remember, Paul prefaced all of this by saying, I wish you all spoke in tongues. The issue isn't tongues, it's your heart, the reason you're gathering together. And if our desire is to lovingly build up the church, our desire should be to clearly and concisely communicate the word of God to others in a way that they can understand, not to prove how spiritual we are by speaking in a way that they have no clue what we're talking about. And look at how Paul makes this case. I think he makes it pretty plainly. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. says, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? 
Sharing God's word in different contexts in a way that can be understood. What, what profit will I have to you if I speak in tongues instead of speaking in a word of knowledge or revelation or prophecy or by teaching you? Even things without life, whether a flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be made known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks." And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Now what what great application. All of these instruments, they're silent right now. How many of you have never even touched an instrument before? A couple of you. Come up and play. What would that sound like? It would be unintelligible. I mean, I've touched an instrument before and usually it's still un- unintelligible. But, but what a perfect example of what the church should be. There's, these instruments, they're silent right now. And it's not until the worship team comes up and they play the right chords at the right time. It's not, it's not just that they play chords. They have to play the right chords at the right time. Tempo is so important when it comes to playing with other musicians. It's, it's one of the hardest things to learn. Some people just lock in and they've got it. Others, like me, struggle mightily with it. But man, when everyone plays the right chord at the right time, That's when music's made. Not until a worship team is unified in their playing does an intelligible song appear. And for that to happen, what we have to play the right chords, but we have to look to the leader, right? And it's the same thing with the church. We look to our leader. And we make sure we're playing the right, we're speaking truth, his word, at the right time so that we're effective in what he's doing. The the church in Corinth, we're going to see later that people were prophesying, but it was all at the same time. Everyone was standing up and they had a word of prophecy and nobody could make sense of it because it was just chaos. Paul is bringing the church back into order. He says, look at the conductor, look at the leader, play the right song at the right time, and you're going to make wonderful music. I like his analogy of the trumpet, too. Imagine uh, an army going to battle, and they're ready to go. They're dressed in full armor. They have their weapons. They're waiting for that trumpet to just go. There's all that anticipation, and they hear, they're like, wait, what, what? Was that the trumpet? You got like two guys going, everyone else stays back, they get taken out. 
Paul says it's the right sound at the right time. And to play it right, your eyes have to be on the conductor. And that's the church. See, the point of our gatherings here, it's not about experience. It's about building one another up. And we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and speak his truth. Paul repeats this in verse 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, you want spiritual activity in your life? You want to be a part of spiritual things, he says? Let it be then for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Not for your own personal experience, but seek spiritual gifts so that you may build one another up. Look at verse 13. Now, all of that has been pretty plain, don't you think? Speak words that make sense and not words that don't make sense so that other people are built up. That's pretty pretty understandable. But listen to this now, verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, but I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at you giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? That's pretty plain, isn't it? How can, let's say, Manuel prays, but he prays in tongues, and I'm standing next to him, and I want to agree, because Scripture says we're to, to agree. There's power in that. But he's speaking in tongues, and I'm like, I want to agree with that, but he could have been praying for something that, I don't know. So, it's not rocket science. If you bless with the Spirit, in verse 16, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? Verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues, and this is the mic drop moment, isn't it? I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you, Paul says. Yet in the church... I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because I'm not here for me, Paul says, I'm here for you. I'm not here for my spiritual experience. I'm here to build you up and I care about you. Since prophecy is superior It's more effective. Since intelligible, understandable, inspired speech is superior, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret that tongue. So if I were to ask you, what do you think matters most to Paul? In church gatherings, what do you think matters most to Paul? It is absolutely the good of others. What is more spiritually significant? I think this is so important to hear uh, just because of the condition of the church today. What is more spiritually significant? Coming to church, having an emotionally charged, overwhelming, speaking in tongues, falling on your face, shaking, weeping kind of experience... 
or coming to church and speaking words of life and truth to somebody who desperately needs to hear it? What's a more significant spiritual experience? How would Paul answer that question? He said, I would wish to speak five intelligible words instead of thousands in tongues. But again, how do we tailor our services? How do we fashion our gatherings? Again, it's about the right lighting, the right music, the right mood. And I know I talk about that a lot. I love music. I have a, a healthy, unhealthy addiction to speakers and headphones, so you can talk to my wife about that. I love music. But I don't like when it's used to manipulate. I don't like when it's the central uh, sticking point or the central attraction or when everything is built up to that because we are calling people to have an experience and not meet the one true God. Because people can leave a, an amazing worship experience and say, that was good music and not give any thought to the message. And I've heard it. I have unbelieving family that will leave different events and say, oh, wow, the music was great, but the message never got through. Who cares about the music then? Don't get me wrong. We are to sing praises to God. We are to worship Him. We are to gather together and sing, as Lance said, hallelujah, praise to God. There's something wonderful when we come together as a body and we are singing the same truths about who God is and what He's done in our life. But we are not doing that to seek our own personal well-being. We're doing it because God deserves it. So it's not about the right lighting, the right music, the right mood. It's not about eliciting an emotional response to provide an experience. I get so many mailers today, and that's what the, the it's, not, it's not a Sunday morning gathering. It's not a church service anymore. It's a worship experience. And we have to stop feeding into that. Because we are already self-centered. We already live in a me-first society. I'm so convinced that our efforts are better spent creating an environment conducive to building one another up and where the truth of God's word is clearly communicated. Guys, we could put all, all our money and en energy into a worship experience that will never be our heart. We want God's word to take center stage. Look at verse 20 now. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Buckle up for a second. All of that seemed pretty plain, I hope. Paul seems to take a left turn and contradict everything he just said. So follow along closely. We'll unpack it here with the time that we have left. Brethren, he says, I want you to understand. So I'm going to contradict everything I just said. That's not what Paul means. He says, I want you to be mature. I want you to be grown up about this. And grown ups say no to things, right? 
They say no to their selfish desires for the good of their family. That's what it means to grow up, right? My son does not understand what it means to say no unless I'm asking him to do something. Everything else is yes and more and please and take and thank you. Thank you is often used, but you know what it means to be a toddler. You don't have self-control. And Paul says, grow up. You're adults. You're men and women. It's not about you anymore. And then he refers to the law. Now, the law, sometimes when Paul uses the law, he's talking about the Torah. Sometimes he's talking about the Mosaic law. Sometimes he's simply talking about Old Testament scripture. And in this case, he's referring to a section in Isaiah, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to who? unbelievers didn't he just get done telling us how tongues would be confusing to unbelievers but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers will they not say that they are out of their mind in the same breath paul saying Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. But then he says, if unbelievers come into a gathering and we're all speaking in tongues, they're going to be like, these people are crazy. What's Paul saying? He says in verse 24, but if all prophesy and, all, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Let's spend a couple minutes on this real quick. Paul says, you think speaking in tongues is a sign of spiritual maturity. That's his accusation against the Corinthians. You think that spirit, speaking in tongues is, evident, that is evidence that, oh yeah, you're a spiritual giant, Paul says the spirit, superior gift is prophecy. And he says, grow up. Now we seek after signs and wonders and dramatic moves of the spirit, often as evidence that the spirit of God is at work. That's what, again, we've talked about this at great length already. That's oftentimes what church services are tailored around. We want people to see that God is powerful with healings and uh, prophetic words and uh, lengthened legs and speaking in tongues. But guys, show me a fellowship that is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, and I'll show you a church where the Spirit is working. Not that miracles don't happen at church, but the fundamental evidence that the Spirit of God is at work is Jesus being made known. And those are his characteristics. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness and self-control. Show me those things and I'll show you a church where the Spirit of God is moving. But what, why, what is Paul saying here about the law then? Why does he say that it's a sign speaking in tongues to unbelievers? Well, let, let's look at that Old Testament scripture. Remember the nation of Israel, they were in sin, right? They were carried away by idolatry. 
worshiping other gods. And the, prophet, the prophets would come to the people and they would beg them, repent and return. God would speak to his people through prophets and the prophets would clearly, clearly communicate to the people. But would the people listen? No. They ignored the prophets. They would ignore them and ignore them and then they began to reject them and then they began to kill the prophets. And so finally, Israel is destroyed and the Israelites were carried away into slavery by by the Babylonians and by the Assyrians. So God says, I spoke to you with intelligible speech, but now I'm going to give you a different sign. It's no longer going to be the voice of the prophets that you guys understand. In Isaiah 28, 11, he says, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people. So what does that mean? That this new sign for Israel would be other tongues that they do not understand because they had been disobedient to God. They hadn't listened to his word. And finally, they're brought into captivity, and the only sign that God is going to give them now is the sign of a foreign tongue. God warned them. And now this sign, we think of signs and wonders as always a good thing, right? This sign that's being talked about is a negative thing. So when we talk about tongues being a sign for unbelievers, what does that mean? If an unbeliever walks in here and they can't understand what we're talking about and then they leave, what does that mean for them? Judgment. If they come in here and they don't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly, if we don't speak words that, that are God's words and they walk out of here, they are still judged. And so Paul says, why? Why do you focus so much on tongues when there's an unbelieving world that needs to hear clearly about the love of God and the gift of his son, Jesus Christ? And this all comes back to that that heart. What's our heart for unbelievers? When people walk in these doors, is this service about us or is it about them hearing the truth? I've been thinking a lot about the term seeker-friendly. What does it mean to be seeker-friendly? That's a a term that carries a lot of baggage today, doesn't it? Seeker-sensitive or seeker-friendly. When you talk about, you know, I don't know about that church. They're really seeker-friendly. When did that begin to carry a negative connotation? My question is, what does the seeker find when they come in? What do we have to give to them? And Paul says it better be the truth of God's word. More so than any spiritual experience. They need to hear God's word because if they leave here not hearing it, think about the Israelites. If they come in and all they see, now don't get me wrong, unbelievers will come to church and they'll walk away being like, I don't, I don't understand what was going on, even if we are doing what God is calling us to do. It's not always a guarantee That's why Paul says tongues are for a sign and they can be a negative thing if the unbeliever doesn't understand truth. But if they come in and they hear prophecy, they hear God's word in God's place in God's time, I can't tell, Pastor John can probably attest to this, I can't tell you how many times people have come up after a service and said, did my wife talk to you? Did my husband talk to you? Did my parents talk to you? What you said 
cut deep. Sometimes it's a positive, sometimes they're upset, but that's prophecy. Sometimes they'll say, you said this, this, and this, and I'm like, I don't remember saying any of that. But that's the way God works. So what's the difference between an unbeliever walking in and saying, they are mad, they're crazy, or coming in and saying, God is truly among them? It's not about the experience that we create. It's about the truth of God's word being proclaimed. So as to the best of our ability, and this is the legacy that Pastor John has set before us, we will do our best to teach God's word. Because experience is often me-centered. Edification, it's about you. And I want to love you well. And the best way I can do that is to try to get out of the way and let this speak. And maybe that can be the question on all of our minds. If we're over a ministry here at Calvary Central, maybe we can ask, how can I love the youth better? How can I love uh, those in children's ministry better? How can I love those I give a donut and coffee to better? How can I love one another better? And I think that's a question that the Lord is always faithful to answer because without that, without the love of Christ, none of this matters. But when the love of Jesus Christ and our gifts meet, the church is built up. And that's why we gather.